0: Today, we're talking to Santosh from Hexaware about the current market trends of AI and machine learning. You're listening to Joel Beasley, Modern CTO. So how did you fall in love with technology? What's your journey like? Yeah, so my
1: journey in IT career is very, very orthodox, I would say, uh, uh, because I switched different disciplines uh, when I started. I started as a design engineer in a firm, which was basically, you know, building mechanical designs for manufacturing companies. And I used to leverage AutoCAD as a software to build those designs. Uh, then, you know, identified opportunities to automate those designs rather than doing it manually. And the way to do that was using subprogramming languages and script the steps out and, you know, uh, automate the steps. That led me to get into the software development arena, and then switched my uh, field from you know design engineer to software developer, and then gotten into you know software engineering uh, for you know uh, a lot of e-commerce website development and a lot of custom app development, and then got an opportunity to work on business intelligence a uh, uh, you know, project. It was very new field that time so I explored a lot and started figuring it out how business intelligence plays a role in a corporate organization and what it means. And then uh, that was like my t- tipping point towards data and started loving data and uh, leverage data, how to tell stories to business leaders so that they can take informative decisions. And since then it's been it's been more than 17, 18 years. I have been in data field. And evolved as the field evolved, um, from you know reactive data analysis to proactive data analysis, you know, building data platforms, uh, played various kind of roles, uh, you know, right from you know BI developer to architects uh, to you know uh, taking leadership roles and managing teams for you know, delivering data projects, and then pivoted into uh, in a go to market kind of a role wherein you know i i leverage all my background and knowledge in the data arena to position our services to our clients so that's the role i'm playing currently so that's that have been my evolution in that industry and i you know, love every bit of it
0: i'm curious to know so when you moved from individual contributor to first-time leader, right? Can you tell me about how you got that opportunity? Absolutely. So I was a playing role of, uh, a, you know, business intelligence
1: developer and then elevated to become a technical lead wherein I was guiding team, not necessarily managing people management, but guiding team and mentoring them from technical aspects of execution of the project. And then very soon, uh, I joined an organization wherein we had to transition in business intelligence workforce and business from UK to India. Uh, that's where I took my le- uh, leadership role and uh, you know uh, built a team around it, uh, took the team to let it understand, uh, understood the business, and then transitioned that business to India uh, captive of that organization. And since then, I've been building and leading teams around data and analytics. and and worked in different kinds of organizations, uh, right from captive banks, the product companies, and then switched to service companies. And it's been around more than than 10 years I'm in service sector. And I love service sector more than any other sector because it's very exciting, a lot of uh, learning opportunities it offers. So since then, I'm in service sector
0: and, uh, you know, playing different kinds of roles and positioning services to our clients. And what was, when you made that transition to start leading people from individual contributor, what was the most difficult lesson that you learned? So uh,
1: not difficult, however, most interesting lesson I would say is uh, putting yourself in a shoe of a team member and then Figure it out. What would you expect if you, um, you know, if you are a team member, uh, and then deliver the same as you know you are at the receiving end. So one of the things I learned is is uh, you know, or, or probably honed is the listening skills, uh, understanding your team members, uh, figuring it out, and you know their point of views rather than imposing your point of views and ideas on them. So that was the most significant learning that initial phases of my career that I learned and figured it out very quickly that how valuable it is for the very good of the execution, what we are doing.
0: And do you currently have direct reports? Like, do you currently lead a team? I do lead a team currently
1: by virtue of my function. uh, The team is very lean. However, I had been in roles uh, in past where I was managing delivery and uh, managing team as big as 80 members globally. So that taught me a lot, uh, you know, in terms of how to deal with bigger teams and diverse set of people and, uh, you know, in a diverse and different geography and how to align with their, you know, um, sentiments, their culture, you know, work collaboratively
0: and productively. For communication on larger teams, like I haven't ever managed a team of 80 people. How do you do that? Do you have to have a communication person? Do you get really good at writing and articulating your thoughts? How do you communicate to 80 people?
1: Yeah. So typically, um, you know, we, we create a kind of a second layer uh, leadership within, under me, for leading a specific track in technologies. Uh, so majority of the traction or uh, interaction goes through them. However, we always make sure that being a leader is you are approachable always, no matter you know what hierarchy the team members are in. So I made sure that everybody within the team, um, I'm always approachable uh, if they have anything to share, any concerns to raise, um, and then you keep total transparency within the group. And apart from that, uh, regular, you know, communication channels to, um, you know, to discuss uh, not only uh, the learnings within the professional, also, you know, social interactions in form of, uh, you know, wherever we can meet in person, gather everybody and uh, talk in person or call them virtually. But regular cadence, regular interactions is the key. That's that's what I used to do, and uh, um, you know, make sure that everybody is open, everybody is free to talk. Nobody's getting penalized for any you know ideas which are not taken forward, right? So all all ideas are good ideas. That kind of
0: culture. So I think that that was my mantra to to deal uh, with the larger team. And before we started recording we are talking about how you're you're at a company event right now right doing some of that communication is that correct so that's correct what are you learning what's the cool thing happening at hexaware what what communication's going on there
1: yeah very inter- interesting so when the pandemic hit right everybody went virtual and even before pandemic we are a global company we work from different locations many of the uh, you know colleagues we we never met but we work very closely and we know them face by face uh, by video calls and all. However, when pandemic started, Hexaware took a lot of initiatives to make sure that all in the global workforce is well connected and informed what's going on in, uh, within Hexaware, what's going on in, in outside world, how it is impacting us and how we can work together to you know, take on those challenges. Uh, some of the initiatives were from our HR teams to engage workforce globally, learning different skills. For example, you know whether it is cooking or you know haircut or music sessions. Uh, you know those kind of sessions uh, very frequently have been organized, and people participated wholeheartedly uh, on those sessions to make sure that. They're doing something apart from the work. At the same time, they are connecting with colleagues and not only uh, colleagues, their families as well. Explain the
0: haircuts thing again.
1: <laughs> yeah, so uh, a few sessions that uh, you know the team organized where they invited celebrity, uh, you know, hair designers, uh, <laughs> yeah. and then they asked them to you know teach different tips and tricks you know for haircutting and designing. So remember, in pandemic, people stopped going out and people were doing haircut at home. It was very challenging and, uh, you know, because we are all not skilled at it and people were getting shy to come on videos because of the, uh, you know, nasty haircuts. So that was one way to, oh, wow. uh, you know, hone our skills at the same time, uh, you know, give them
0: confidence that it doesn't matter. <laughs> oh, Yeah. That's where my beard came from, actually. (laughs) I never had a beard until uh, COVID, and everyone was out of the office, so I figured hey, now's the best time of of any to just go through the awkward month or two of starting a beard. (laughs) Yeah, so I get that. I think I wore a hat a lot. Like if you look on past shows, when I couldn't get to haircuts, I I started wearing some hats. So you're exactly right. But it's super cool that that you guys integrated that into your company meetings. That's kind of cool. I like that. I haven't heard that before. (laughs) Yeah, So, uh,
1: but this is one example. And there were a lot of such sessions uh, like, regular uh, yoga sessions to make sure we are fit and fine, uh, not only physically, mentally as well. Awesome.
0: I am curious when we, when we first started talking, you mentioned the evolution of your experience and your journey and you had said something that, that sort of stood out to me about where now you're spending some of your time figuring out like, how to position go-to-market strategies, how to position services to clients. Um, that's something as business leaders, we all like, run into to some degree, whether we're in yeah. a conversation when we're just kind of hearing about it happen or we're actually actively driving that strategy. Yeah. What's something important to think about when you're thinking about go-to-market and positioning your services to clients?
1: Yeah, I think the key aspect is to understand what's trending in the market where the industry is leading uh, towards and uh, which are the tools and technologies that are really uh, helpful for addressing business problems so by that thought you know since you know i have been in a, a data background uh, now i am very much focusing on decision intelligence area and uh, uh, part of that practice so we formed this this group with that notion how do we leverage AI, ML technologies to address and solve complex business problems, either automate them or augment them to expedite business decisions by bringing you know, foresights to uh, to the decision right rather than uh, just human intelligence or human uh, you know experience and knowledge. So that's where the industry is going if we, if we took a uh, look at it. So we built whole practice around it, uh, whole, uh, so a lot of offerings uh, around how do we enable our customers in, in different domains uh, to enable them uh, to accelerate their journey. But to your point, uh, when it comes to GT uh, go to market, very important to understand the pulse of your customers, their business and their business problems. And establish yourself as your you know their tested advisors. Once you are able to do these two things, you understand their pain point as if, if it is yours. And if you have to solve that for yourself, what are the measures and what are the, the techniques you will use rather than thinking, okay, how, how much money I can make out of it? <laughs> so very often, uh, you know it, it, um, it entails cannibalizing our revenues. However, overall, if we look at it, if you establish yourself as a trusted advisor and help your customers to you know, address their business problems in a most optimized and cost-effective way, that's the best uh, go-to-market strategy. Then you will be repeatedly called for advice and, uh, and you'll be referred to different customers as well. And then your business automatically grows. So that's one of the key mantra that we follow. Majority of our business is uh, repeated business from the same customers. And we do get a lot of references. New businesses, what we acquire is majority from the references. So that that kind of what uh, is opportunity we follow. Another aspect is being in sync with the journey of uh, transformation. Uh, what that means is, uh, you know, you position your service, you know, convince a customer uh, to, to take your service. And once they... Uh, grant your project, and then most of the organization are disconnected when it comes to implementation. Uh, implementations can go wrong, specifically in AI ML space is very, uh, very, um, you know, complex field of execution. So that's very important to stay connected, to stay on track for implementation, make sure whatever ROI was discussed and, uh, you know, uh, aligned, uh, we are meeting that goal and there would be changes, deviations, how swiftly we address those deviations. Those are the key aspects. And uh, that drives uh, you know uh, customer satisfactions and a smile
0: to our customers. Now, when you were talking about the AI ML technology to solve business problems and helping with business decisions, every year here at the company, and we've been doing this for about five years, we take a list of all of our customers and we take we sort it by, like, who who are these top 20% of the people that we want 100 more of? And what are their attributes? And every year, it's subsequently gotten, like, slightly more sophisticated. And we're just doing it with, like, a spreadsheet, you uh-huh. know, some basic stuff. But then I thought, this year, I, I started looking for software where I could, like, put in all my deal information, and it could tell me about, like, time to close. But here here was the problem. So... Your CRM will often offer you a thousand different reports, right? But I don't need a thousand different reports. I need some AI system to run through. 10,000 possible things that could be impacting my deal flow and then present to me in an order of priority the most important things I need to know that happen to impact my deals. And then that way I can make business decisions on it, whether I change the, my territories or I, or I do something with the sales team. And so is that like along the lines of what you do?
1: Absolutely. And that's, that's, uh, that's one of the use cases, as you just pointed it out. Similarly, any business domain, there are so many decisions. In fact, you know, there are around 3 billion decisions, business decisions are taken annually. All, a majority of those decisions are still manual today. Uh, and it comes from wisdom of the leaders on that, uh, you know, uh, business area based on their experiences and based on their biases uh, of past experiences. However, those are not very, you know, data uh, insight-driven business decisions. Um, as a human being, we have a, a, an exposure to the areas that we have uh, you know, exposed to. But when you apply a uh, data-driven uh, approach to that, it can combine the experiences of not only yours, but everybody and every, uh, everyone else who has worked on that field and the business operated over years, and combined all together and you know create an insight and fuel uh, your business decisions with the output of that uh, foresight so so that's where uh, you know industry is is going to, to towards and you know lot of business processes there are technologies like rpa uh, you know to accelerate the business steps automatically however you know, AI ML basically helps to identify what are the next best you know steps based on uh, you know what worked better in the past, what failed. Just like for your example, you know for CRM, uh, which territory should I go for? What are the parameters are influencing? Why my sales traction did not you know worked out in X Y Z area? How do I segmentize my audience? Right, things like that are suggested by AI algorithms today based on how your traction had been in the past. So those are the areas that DI is addressing and it can go to very complex use cases as well. Like we are advising one of a manufacturing company to do a predictive maintenance of their big machines, which saves a lot of time uh, versus doing manually and uh, takes a lot of time even in diagnosing the issues in the machines. So we built algorithms which are basically, you know, uh, looking at all parameters of uh, what fault could be and identifying a service engineer very precisely where the fault is so that that
0: can be fixed. Yeah, that's that's becoming popular. I, yeah. I saw one guy who like cell phone towers and... Hawaii, like to get the parts out there, it takes a long time and it's expensive. Uh, And so they'd often have to like charter private flights or whatnot to get things out there. So they were working on this predictive maintenance uh, algorithms to detect when they're going to fail earlier so they can get parts out to them before they actually fail.
1: Yeah, so a lot of cool stuff. And I'm so excited that
0: I'm part of this journey and uh, leading that service from Hixware. So, back to my use case, uh, obviously it was very specific. It was sales related data, and I of course have unreasonable expectations that I can just send it data and it be incredibly brilliant and give me give me insights back. Are we there yet? Are there off the shelf tools that will actually do that with a legitimate form of like business savvy and intelligence, or are we more at the point where if I were a large company as I was having this issue, i 'd go hire Hexware. From they would do consultation, figure out exactly the data, massage the data, then build systems specifically for me, versus me just putting it into like a giant one size fits all system and getting very personalized results. Is that where we're at right now?
1: No, no, not yet. Where you can just ask your question and then the AI will answer. In this paradigm, we are not there yet. However, there are there have been efforts by all. You know, large CRM companies, whether it is Microsoft or HubSpot or other leading products, they all are trying to build these kind of services on top of their existing platform. But uh, having said that, it will never all, you know, uh, one size fit all business requirement or all uh, scenarios. Even the sales process is very different from organization to organization. The magnitude and expectations are very different. So it will never be, you know, one size fit for all. It will have to be uh, customized and tuned to, uh, to the way the function, uh, business function works in a given scenario. So to, to answer your question, we will always uh, require some kind of customization on, uh, you know, uh, identifying the parameters which are important for the organization and the business uh, they are into and uh, customize the models based on that. So we may have base models, if you will, and then you'll have to improvise that uh,
0: based on the uh, business scenario we're dealing with. And so how do companies currently interface with Hexaware? Is it, do they go to the website and they reach out and they start a conversation with a specific problem? Yeah, there are various channels
1: that they uh, you know approach us. The website is one of the way. Uh, but apart from that, we have been making recommendations in terms of where our services are better than other organizations or our peers. Uh, so we have uh, created a niche in, in our services and automation is in our DNA. As a, uh, That's how we differentiate from other service providers. Any service that we offer to our clients, there is a certain degree of automation and platform-led approach always in, built in that. So that's how we created a differentiation, and we have been recognized in the industry uh, our platforms and uh, tools that we take it to our uh, clients the those are recognized and you know caught in patents. So our customers also realize the value of that, and uh, increasingly we've been called uh, to address their business problems.
0: What's the most exciting thing? maybe outside of Hexaware that's going on in the tech world that that's got you really pumped up?
1: Yeah. So being a technology person and specifically in a field, which is which itself is very exciting. um, And I keep making myself uh, abreast with what's going on in the market. Right. One of the thing in the space that is uh, interesting is uh, the creative AI aspect of it, uh, which means, uh, you know, uh, you know, there are models, there are techniques developed, uh, which are helping artists to augment their work uh, by use of uh, AI. So, for example, uh, you know there are models available wherein you can it it can create the whole in you know, a painting based on just few words of input. So, there are frameworks like DALI, very very interesting uh, output. I have played with that myself. And not being an artist, but I can create a lot of nice, you know, art with that uh, software, right? So that's where AI is leading towards. And not only picture, right? AI is being used to create music, uh, create, uh, you know, videos and all, all sort of artistic stuff.
0: Now I'm just curious. I don't think that you're like a super detailed expert on Dolly, but I I know very little, so you probably know more than me because I haven't even played with it. I've just seen the articles where people mm-hmm. type salmon uh, swimming upstream, and it's like fillets of salmon. It's not the actual fish. Do those models are are they at the point where like they're trained on a specific set of data, and they can only do things that they know about? Like maybe they know about water streams and salmon, or are they at the point where you could maybe make a pop culture reference to a musician or an artist, and they would understand that too. Do you you know where that's at? Yes, absolutely. I think
1: Dale specifically is being trained on a different kind, different form of art performances and different, uh, you know, genre of arts, primarily painting Dale is focusing on that it's been trained on you know a lot of historical data on various artists across the world and their style of working uh, their style of arts so if you give an input that hey i want to you know build a, a portrait of myself or or you know somebody fam- famous personality in the style of uh, picasso so it will understand how picasso's style was and based on that it will transform that picture and present the output for you. Oh, so you can give it a photo and it can manipulate it? Not necessarily. Dali doesn't take photos as input. However, it has been trained with the pictures of all famous personalities across the world. Got it. So let's say if you want to create a transformative fi- picture of a famous personality in a different style, in a different setup and background, in a different era, for example, you know, World War Two or, or, you know, Oh, uh, it be era. like
0: Picasso, World War Two.
1: Yes, so all these are parameters that you can keep adding as an input, as a form of text, and it will use those learnings and build
0: picture based on that. Oh, that's pretty cool. Now, Elon Musk, you know, he went around, I think, five years ago and sounded the alarm and then realized nobody really cared about AI taking over the world. So then he started, you know, like Neuralink and the different AI projects that he works on. I think it's called OpenAI. What do you think is the most likely path in reality to happen with the emergence of AI? Are we going to get crushed by it? Are we going to evolve next to it and with it? What do you think the most likely path is for us as humans? Oh Well,
1: yeah, there is always fear and debate in industry that will take over human beings and our decisions. Uh, However, my take is AI will get smarter as we allow it to so having said that, a proper governance is needed. So let's say any company which is building any AI product has to be governed what kind of uh, intelligence they are infusing in. So having said that, AI will always argument human being, never replace them. This, this is what my take is. Uh, and more and more AI applications and, uh, um, you know, technologies are developed, uh, the platforms are developed, even the tools are uh, developed when I say machines. Uh, more and more tech users are required to manage those and uh, operate those. So if you look at you know uh, the fear that AI is taking everybody's job, it's a myth. AI is in fact going to create much more jobs than we ever had. The only difference would be uh, the jobs are getting transformed to very technical rather than uh, non-technical jobs. But apart from that, it's not going to take anybody's job ever. There'll be aspect of wrong usage of AI. And that's where the whole governance is required, a very stringent governance. Uh, Any new technology, there is a negative aspect of that. When Internet was introduced and became public, there are wrong uses of Internet but there are so many positive uses of internet that uh, we are harnessing and living
0: with. Same will go with AI as well. And if you were to go back to uh, yourself back when you were programming AutoCAD and, and just getting into it, and you were to give yourself some advice about the future of, of AI and, and where the market's going, what would you tell yourself? Yeah, that's an interest, interesting question. And that time,
1: you know, AI yeah, was not mainstream, and nobody was thinking about it. Um, though the concept was there uh, decades ago, um, organizations like NASA and all were using it in some form and fashion, but it wasn't mainstream. However, if uh, if this this kind of open technologies were available that time, uh, you know, I would I would think these d- designs. And today, if you look at it. Uh, no, nobody does uh, or creates those mechanical designs anymore, right? The technologies like AR, VR has taken over. Uh, you have a 3D uh, model building uh, aspects uh, which were not there earlier, and now those 3D models are directly fed into CNC machines, and then 3D pin- printers have evolved. Nobody thought that 3D printer uh, yeah would be a reality. Rather than CNC machine to carve out a, in a specific shape of a component of a machine, you will use 3D printer to print it, right? So so those d- designs are completely irrelevant today's, uh, in today's scenario.
0: Now, I'm watching the time. Did we cover decision intelligence? I mean, we talked a little bit about it. So tell me a little bit about what decision intelligence is, and then if people that are listening, if they're interested and finding out more about this, or working with Hexware on Decision Intelligence, how they can do that? Uh, absolutely. So
1: Decision Intelligence is about uh, solving complex business problems, leveraging AI ML techniques, right? And uh, infuse foresights in process of business decisions, if you will. Imagine uh, you know, an ML model guides an individual or an application by predicting next best action or step based on historical events or patterns, et cetera, uh, and help them to take most appropriate decisions. So that that's where the digital intelligence comes in play. This most often helps in uh, argumenting or automating business decisions, making process, and then derive better outcomes. Uh, so efficiency improvement is one. The differentiator in other technologies like RPA and traditional business intelligence, what we were doing is, traditional business intelligence was more reactive in terms of identifying what happened in your business and then infer from that and uh, take actions manually. However, vision intelligence is much more proactive approach wherein uh, AI-ML techniques are being used uh, to understand the insights from the data and then create foresights. What could be the next best action to take and then help to take appropriate decisions so so that's where it, it differentiates. And a lot of, lot of it to do with leveraging various disciplines of AIML, whether it is computer vision or, um, you know, NLP statistical modeling as well. So all these disciplines, uh, sometimes uh, we combine all these together to address a business problem or solve a problem, which which was very complex to address earlier. Uh, but leveraging these technologies, we can address them in much more automated way uh, and drive
0: efficiencies in the business process. And if people want to work with you on this and learn more about it, where do they go?
1: Yeah, so they, they can contact us uh, for a preliminary discussion to understand uh, you know, what business problem they're dealing with. Uh, we, uh, we offer consulting services in this space uh, wherein... Uh, you know uh, we have specialized consultants who understand deep mathematics and statistics and AI ML techniques. However, come with very great business acumen to relate to it, with the business problem, and then marry these techniques to figure it out how these techniques can be leveraged to address complex business problems. So, so that's the best way. Uh, but apart from that, we do come across a lot of different uh, you know, companies who who know what business problems to be solved, but they don't know how to do that. And, and that's where we get engaged uh, uh, with them and build their strategies in terms of technology landscape, in terms of, uh, you know, what techniques to be used and uh, and then help them to build those processes. And then the third area is, is, you know, which I believe is becoming very prominent, specifically in large enterprises, wherein they either have built some models or they they are in process of building and piloting a lot of models but they're struggling in how to operationalize that in a large scale and uh, you know and embed that in a business process uh, scenario So that's where we help them to operationalize in terms of uh, integrating the output of the model to the business processes and the applications so that the business users can get that insight uh, embedded within the process rather than going and looking at some reports or dashboards, if you will. And uh, the whole aspect of uh, maintaining the models, uh, accuracy and output over period of time Models, when built, we do hypothesis testing, we train them, and we figure it out, okay, the accuracy level is acceptable for a business scenario, and then we productionize that. But over a period of time, uh, model uh, output deteriorates, deteriorates and model drift and data drift uh, comes in play. So there is a consistent need of uh, you know evaluating and auditing the model and figuring it out whether uh, you know the output is still valid for a scenario, and uh, if not, uh, it requires retuning, recalibration, and um, you know retrained uh, and then redeployed. So that whole um, life cycle of model uh, calibration is called MLOPS. Mm. And that's where a lot of frameworks and tools are available in market, and it's a still growing field. A lot of work is still being done manually, but uh, that's where we help our customers to leverage best breed of the tool and experiences how to automate majority of those steps and uh, not get caught in the wrong decisions and insights given by the uh, in the models and thinking that you know model was giving better output 6 months ago it should be good again but it won't be
0: thank you for all of the the insights on ai what's the website for for your company it's uh, hexavay.com.
1: within that we have a, you know list of uh, different s- service lines we have one service line called digital core transformation and within digital core transformation we have aligned decision intelligence as one of the